This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. So good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Retail Retold. This is our first ever episode. I am pleased to welcome Josh Goldstein. Josh has been a corporate real estate professional for over 15 years. Today works for Pet Supplies Plus. He's their director of real estate, responsible for their short and long-term strategic growth as it relates uh, into opening brick and mortar locations. Josh is a husband, a father of two, and on the side, he is a hockey coach for his daughter's hockey team. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. So, like I said, Josh, you're our first guest, and you know, there's been a recent proliferation of podcasts in the world, and at DLC, we wanted to jump on that. There's even been some in retail and retail real estate today. One of the ones we thought we could put a little twist on it is the story behind the deal. So this show is going to be a lot of stories uh, throughout its evolution. And we call it the story behind the deal because we're going to interview people from all walks of life, from developers, tenants, environmental people, attorneys. One could find, as I call, like, how did that store end up in my neighborhood? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I think thanks for the time. And with that, I'm going to jump in. So it's hard to look at headline news without seeing something about the urbanization of America. And that said, we've done a few deals with Pet Supplies Plus and some of them in some, you know, suburban and rural markets. And we, we recently did one at King City Square in Mount Vernon, Illinois. And so how does a company like Pet Supplies Plus end up choosing a location like Mount Vernon, Illinois to open a store? Yeah, so the the urbanization story is a sexy story that um, the news likes to perpetrate, but the reality is there's still a tremendous amount of opportunity in small, secondary, tertiary, and rural markets in the United States that have truly been overlooked and are underserved by um, a lot of brands. Uh, what we've found through experience is that um, those markets can still be very opportunistic for retailers like Cut Supplies Plus and um, are definitely part of the go-forward strategy and the overall strategy we look at when we're looking at markets. We don't focus just on small markets, but they are certainly markets that um, can be very successful for us given what's what's there. So they can be a little riskier, um, just sometimes when the population is a little limited, uh, you know, the upside may not be there quite as great as they are in suburban markets or markets that have a high growth rate, but, um, but the, the stores tend to perform very well the customers tend to be very appreciative of you bringing a brand to their neighborhood. And the strategy seems to be paying off for a lot of us. Totally. At, at DLC, we have a similar view. We certainly like, you know, the core dominant top MSA, but there's, as you say, there's still opportunities in small markets. It's why we own in a place like Mount Vernon, Illinois. So I can appreciate that. Uh, and that's a great perspective. So digging in a little deeper, you end up saying, okay, I can, I can do business in a place like Mount Vernon, Illinois. How do you land and choose the specific real estate that you end up in, like King City Square uh, in Mount Vernon? Yeah, so for for Pet Supplies Plus, we we like to be kind of in your neighborhood, and our preference is to go probably closer to 
um, a grocery anchor neighborhood type shopping center than it is to go, say, to a giant power anchor shopping center, although we'll do both. And so in a market like 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 this, where we could be next to a Kroger, um, have a little, little, little level of confidence in the Kroger performance, knowing that that's kind of the grocery store that the, the folks in the, in, the, in the market shop at makes us comfortable going into a center like this. Also, we like doing deals with you. So it helped that we had a friendly landlord that we knew we could make an opportunistic deal with because at the end of the day, we were still taking on a lot of risk by going to a market like this. But having a partner like DLC who understood the value of having us in the center and was able to work with us in terms of the economics made that a much easier decision for us to make uh, in the grand scheme of things. When you guys are looking and, and, and you guys are this large national retail chain expanding in a whole host of markets, is that, you know, is that landlord partnership that much of a consideration in working with someone and could it, does it tip the scales ever knowing that the landlord is someone who, you know, you guys believe in? It's a little bit, of, a little bit of that, but it's, it's also about knowing that we've got landlord partners that know us and know our deal, um, especially as we do more and more franchise driven deals throughout the U.S., um, making sure that um, there's a trust level with uh, Pet Supplies Plus as, as a company, and then, you know, a confidence level in the franchisees that we're bringing to the table to help us get the kind of deals we need to have everyone be successful. So, and also from a, um, from a operational perspective, it's easier to pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, let's put a deal together in the center. And we have a conforming deal and we have a conforming lease. And we've gotten a lot of the first date stuff out of the way. And so, yeah, it, it can. Now, I'm not going to not do a store or a great deal with another landlord that I've never done business with before just because I don't have that relationship with them. But it can certainly tip the scales one way or the other uh, when we know it's a what I'll call an easier deal to make just operationally um, in terms of having to fight over a new lease and start from scratch and have to kind of prove ourselves to the landlord. So it, 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 we definitely look to, you know, our, our first look is if we're looking at a specific market is are there any friendly landlords that we can kind of start with? Uh, and our master brokers at Bilo do a really good job of, of working those relationships and making sure that we're, we're kind of fully enmeshed in what all the opportunities are in a given market. Yeah, for, for those on the call on the, on the deal-making side, I, I think when you mentioned the operations, it's definitely something that probably on the transactional side gets overlooked, right? You and I are in communication. We have a bunch of stores together, so we're in communication pretty frequently throughout any one year whether we're dealing with physical structure and people and the interaction of those with real estate, right? And so there's always operational issues, and you and I, you know, hear stuff from the field frequently that we try to work through and solve often, which, you know, on the front side of how did that store end up there, the, the people on the deal side sometimes don't see that. Yeah, and, and in fairness, when I say operational, I mean uh, putting together a lease and negotiating that and signage and all those other things. But but it also is once the once the center is open and operating, you know, having a comfort level that we have a landlord that's going to be able to perform and is going to be responsive. That does play into it, especially with our franchisees who want to know that they're making their investment in a shopping center with a landlord who's going to um, reciprocate by by taking care of them, you know, uh, through the long term. And one of the other things I'll say that's nice about having forging relationships with landlords such as yourself and, and some of our other bigger partners, is what I'm finding more and more in today's you know, low vacancy environment is that we've got to get creative to put space together. And so having a landlord who can look at a site plan, know that you've got interest in being in a shopping center and kind of do the chessboard three moves out and say, well, look, this guy's expiring next year. 
and I could probably relocate this guy. I can get a little bit of space back here. Let me call Josh and see if that's something that they're interested in. And we get a lot of deals that way. And uh, I think when, when you're top of mind with landlords that you've partnered with in the past um, that know you, know your deal, know your economics to be able to say, well, that's going to cost me way too much to do that for Josh. I'm not going to even bother to call him. Um, or other ones who say, well, I think I can make this work if we do this. You know, we've, we've been getting a lot of deals that way, both with yourself and with other, other landlords. We're, we're sort of having that relationship has probably put us top of mind for people who have come up with some really creative ways to make the best use of the space that they have available. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, you know, one, I think contrary to have my news, you know, occupancy in retail centers is pretty high. And I think as real estate and retail evolves, it's no longer see space, lease space. There's a, you know, the, the, the both parties need to be creative everyone's needs are changing, both the retailer and the landlord. And so to figure out how to get creative with deals, I think that relationship is a key part in that constant communication as things evolve. If you're front and center, both from a, you know, the tenant and landlord side, you're put yourself in a better position to make a deal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so pivoting, you know, one of the things that as a consumer and, you know, sitting around your dinner table, you always hear in any market in the U.S., why can't we get X store in our neighborhood? And, you know, some consumers are always like, oh, it, it, they would do so great if they came here. Why can't we get this store in, it, in our neighborhood? Do, do those anecdotal pieces of information ever impact decision making? If not, why? Yeah. So I, on one hand, I love hearing those kind of stories because it definitely gives you a, a, a comfort level that there's at least one person who's going to shop at your store, which you can't always take, <laughs> take for granted. But unfortunately, what it does is it creates a little bit of an emotional reaction. So we got to be careful in today's environment. You know, I, I can only speak for myself and the retailers I've worked for, but everything is so data-driven nowadays. I joke that it's, it's my spreadsheet against your spreadsheet when it comes to deal-making a lot of times. And so, you know, while it's nice to hear those things, it's tough to react emotionally to them because as much as I want to bring a store to every every market in the country, I also have to be careful that we're following along with the data that makes us successful. And so I may, if I hear that from somebody, it may make me look closer at something. It may make me take a second look or ask my brokers to dig in deeper you know, on a particular market. But at the end of the day, we have to make sure that we have a successful location. Not, not only, you know, we just, we don't want to go into a center and have to pull out because the sales were underwhelming. So we're looking at what's the total population look like and what does the income levels look like and what kind of household growth are we looking at and who are the co-tenants and how well do they do and you know, is there synergies you know, in that area. And so if all those components make sense, then I love being able to pull out you know, in, a, in a real estate committee meeting and go, you know, we got this piece of feedback or it came in on our, on our, uh, on our, our voice of the customer survey or, 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 or through the um, customer care team. But, you know, a lot of times it, they're nice to see, but it's tough to, to, to react to those and action on them. And, and I think you can, you can get yourself in, in trouble if you try to sometimes. But at the other hand, you may find a hidden gem uh, that you didn't really know about because it just wasn't on anybody's radar screen. So what is, uh, you said something I hadn't heard before. What is the voice of the customer survey? We do a number of, uh, we'll reach out to, to our, we have um, like, like C-tape surveys that people do and they put, give feedback. And then we also have a pretty robust, you know, talk to us button on our website that people have comments. And we have a customer care team over here. They actually sit, sit just right outside my office and 
they handle all the inbound communication from our what we call our neighbors. And it could be, you know, store related things, but occasionally once a week or so, I'll get a real estate related question. And, you know, how, how come you're not in this market or can you open a store in the shopping center? And I, there was actually a good example of one where we got a request to put a store up, up in Northern Michigan. And uh, Michigan's our home state. Obviously, we have a lot of stores here. And I knew this market really well. And I was kind of like, you know, at first glance, my first gut was like, no, 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 no. It's way too small of a market. But, you know, I wrote back and said, hey, you know, thanks for reaching out. And, you know, do you represent a site? Because I was thinking it was a real estate related request. And she's like, nope, I'm just a customer who lives up here. And I really like the brand I've seen in other places. And I really think a store would do well here. And, and we dug into it because I was actually like, well, you know, this, this could work. And ultimately, we were never able to pull the trigger on a deal up there. But, uh, but it did work. I mean, it did at least get us looking at it. But, you know, ultimately, the deal didn't, didn't quite make sense. The, um, the interesting parallel with, with that comment or with this question actually is a little bit about Mount Vernon because one of the things that the community had done prior to us even showing interest in the market was, I guess, the mayor had done a survey of fifth graders, you know, and just as kind of a fun thing or whatever, and asking them, what kind of retail would you like to see in the market? And apparently a pet store was on the list. IKEA was on the list. I think a Bass Pro was on the list. And I think a pet store was somewhere on there. So that was fun to kind of pull that out um, when we presented the deal and say, look, you know, the mayor's excited about us coming. And, uh, and, and how did you uh, get that information? You know, actually, our, uh, our broker, because we were struggling a little bit with this market, given the size of it and given the risk inherent with it, you know, our broker actually decided to, um, Andrew Marr from Bilo decided to kind of, he was in the area, he had to go to St. Louis or something, and he drove over there and actually met with the mayor. Because we had sort of said, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more than what I could see on the paper to help do this. And um, he went up going in there, meeting with her for 20 minutes or whatever. And you know, she's like, Oh, by the way, like we have this survey we did, and that store was on there. And it was kind of totally random. And it was just kind of a chuckle when you talk about, you know, sort of having that that sign that, hey, you know, this this could be something we should probably take a stab at. Awesome. So when you go to a a market like Mount Vernon, and you mentioned some of the people think about, which is income and population density. But what are what are some of the keys you consider to make sure you make the right decision? And specifically in Mount Vernon, kind of, was there anything that pushes you over the edge to get you guys comfortable? Yeah. So real estate is like an art and a science, right? And we're trending more and more towards the science side of real estate now with all the data and analytics that go into it. But at the end of the day, there's a little bit of an art to it. And, you know, I had early on in my career, I had somebody who you know, really distilled into me that, or instilled into me that you need to put yourself in the shoes of the neighbor you're serving. So if you are living in Mount Vernon, Illinois, and you need to get pet food and it's Saturday morning and you got to get up and go shopping, you know, how do you make a decision where to go shop? And you, you can't teach this. This is something that you just pick up with a lot of experience and a lot of good, you know, good deals and bad deals because we've had them all in our careers. But how do you put your shoes yourself in the shoes of the neighbor? And so you start looking at some of the things that are maybe not as omnipresent as demographics and income levels and, you know, all the other stuff. And you say, like, how easy is it to get in and out of the shopping center? Well, in the case of Mount Vernon, there's, I think there's four entrances in and I think almost all of them are full access out. You know, is it visible? Can I find it? Can I find it? Because, you know, we don't, only me and you and our friends in this business drive around looking at every single store and every single shopping center and have a photographic memory of, of every, of every um, building we see. So if you're a neighbor and, and you're you know, driving home every day past this 
pet store and you see it, but maybe you don't need pet supplies yet or you're shopping somewhere else, you know, does a light bulb go off when you're ready and say, oh, there's this new pet store. I want to go check them out because I've gotten a circular from them and they're doing a great job and people are talking about it and there's a buzz. You know, so is it, is it well located? Is it easy to get in and out of? Is it economically feasible, right? So that's another thing that kind of goes into pushing it over. It's a lot easier for someone to take a risk on a site when it's got a lower occupancy cost or, or a nice contribution from the landlord versus stretching in certain markets, right? And so there's a, a band of rents and economics that things start to make sense. And it kind of all goes into the soup. And out of the soup comes a decision to move forward or not. And so um, people try and people have tried. And there's a lot of things you can do very programmatically from a data perspective. And you can assign ratings to things and rankings to things. But at the end of the day, you got to put yourself in the shoes of the neighbor who's going to wake up on that Saturday morning, go feed the dog. Oh, crap, I'm out of dog food. You know, and where am I going to go get it from today? Because I need to get this and I need to get it right away. And so that's kind of our strategy when it comes to looking at things. And that's why in a market like Mount Vernon or a market like wherever, you got to look beyond just what's on the paper in terms of the demographics and the numbers, because those are nice, but that's not the whole story. Totally. That's uh, sage advice. And so you, you mentioned, you know, pet food, and it was a segment that was pretty resistant during the recession. People, you know, there's often that phrase that people spend more on their pets than their own kids. Uh, Absolutely. And so, good sector to, to be in, no doubt, but competitive. So, so how does competition affect your decision process? So, you could take the spectrum of pet stores, you know, everything from some of the older, you know, 40,000 square foot pet smarts, you know, down to a Chrysler's or a Bentley's, which is you know, 2,500 to 1,500 square feet. And they're all kind of serving slightly different niches um, within the market. And then you have, you know, your mass, uh, mass your targets, your Walmart, you got your grocery stores that sell a little bit of pet. You know, you got um, competition from Big Lots and Dollar Tree and TJ Maxx when, when it comes to, you know, dog beds and treats and stuff like that. And so we like to try to carve out our own niche. And our, and our niche is kind of being that neighborhood-based pet retailer where we can kind of be uh, where you go to get your dog groomed, where you go to get your dog, your pet washed. We're, we're adding veterinary services to a lot of our stores. We've got a lot of brands that you can't get elsewhere. Um, we have access to brands that will only locate in uh, like kind of independent-ish you know, pet retailers. They won't go to the Petco's and PetSmarts of the world. And so we've got that. We've also got tremendous what we call neighbor service uh, when you come in our stores, which I can't always say the same thing for some of our competition. And so we think we create this niche for ourselves that allows us to kind of coexist in markets where we have competition because we're doing it differently than they are. And so one of the ways we're doing it is from a real estate perspective, which is what we're talking about, is you know I want to be closer to where you live or I want to be on your daily route. Um, I don't want to be an inconvenience for you, right? Pet Supplies Plus's tagline is minus the hassle, and it's about uh, having a, a very seamless or frictionless transactional experience within our stores, you know, both from the layout of the stores, but from the real estate perspective, it's the location of the stores. So can you get in and out easily? Can we make it easy for you to get to what you need and get in and out quick? And we're actually proud of how little time people spend in our stores because we, to, to us, that means it's a really quick and painless transaction. You come in the store, you find what you need right away. If you want to stay and look for other things, or you need help finding things, you can do that, or you can get your product, get back in your car, and go on with it. And so we, as a company, part of our initiatives as we grow and evolve and you know, face new challenges, you know, we're big on buy online, pick up in store. 
That's been a huge thing for us. And we're testing buy online, deliver from store. And we think those are also two things that are really going to help us be resilient against our competition. But looking at it from a brick and mortar perspective, you know, obviously the further away from competition, the better. But what we found is we can be just as successful, you know, where we have a superior location and we can get, get a lot closer to our competition than you might expect otherwise. Wow, there's a, there a lot of info there. So that was awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I, <laughs> the, and so one of the things we didn't touch on in our prep call was what our industry calls dwell time. And one of the things that a lot of industry pros are doing today is trying to increase the dwell time of the consumer. And you just mentioned that you guys are actually trying to decrease it. And you believe that's making it more convenient to the consumer. Yeah, it's a funny it's a funny paradox there because if you create dwell time and you make it more complicated for people to leave, and I'm not a consumer psychologist and, and, and I don't pretend to understand that side of things that well, but in my mind as a as a consumer, the more complicated you make it for me to buy something, the less likely it is I'm going to buy it. So in my mind, if I can get in and get out quickly and I don't have to wait in a long line, we can claw back some of that convenience because at the end of the day, the ultimate convenience is sitting at your desk or sitting in the car or sitting in the bathroom, whatever you're doing, pulling out your phone and ordering something <laughs> while you're sitting there. And how do you compete with that, right? Like, I mean, I could have ordered, I could have done all my shopping for the weekend, the 20 minutes we've been on the phone, on this call. But if I have to drive to each of those stores and do that, well, that's going to cost me a lot of time. So how can I make it less of a hassle? So minus the hassle, right? So in our mind, we, we do a good enough job with the way we merchandise our stores and the way we interact with our neighbors that if they want to come in and get out quick, we've set that up for them. And if they want to come in and spend time in the store browsing around and doing all the other things, you absolutely can do that too. I and mean, we're staffed for it and we're set up for it. And I think that's something that, I mean, that really maybe sets us apart from some of our competition. And then they can dwell in another store. <laughs> they can go dwell in another mm-hmm. store within the shopping center, mm-hmm. but they won't, they won't feel like um, the, the, the experience of Pet Supplies Plus was a hassle for them. So you mentioned online shopping and I think, so one of the differentiators that a lot of groups do online is they, they have, you know, either the service in the store, you mentioned you've added services and they're adding services that, that are, can't be replicated online. And then you can have products that you can only buy in certain places. You know, uh, it's been only pretty recent. I don't know if it's 24 months or 36 months, but it was very recent where you could only get, uh, you could get Nike products on Amazon. So, you know, right. that, that distribution channel that, uh, that wholesalers have is, is critical. And you mentioned you have brands that you can't get other places, which make it a draw to come to you. But you did also mention that you're starting to do buy online pickup in store, buy online yep. deliver to home. Are you, can, can I go on Pet Supplies website and just order something online today? Yeah, so we don't think the right play is, is um, and again, I'm speaking just from Josh, the real estate guy's perspective. To me, the right play is, is, is eliminating that convenience that we talked about a minute ago that the online guys have and replacing it with like a localized destination to get the stuff you need in, in a quick fashion, right? So if I forget this morning, ran out of dog food, I don't have to wait two days for it to show up or have to pay a ton of money to get it shipped. Um, I can place an order, and what we'll do is we, we, you're going to pull up in front of the store or, or to a designated parking spot. We call them barking spots, by the way. Um, and That's you amazing. Can, uh, you can uh, reach out to the store, and the store will actually bring out the product. They'll check it in from the car, and they'll throw it in your trunk, and you can drive off. So imagine being, I mean, you and I both have young kids. Like 
imagine being in the car with your kids and they're throwing a tantrum, whatever it is, because it's a David and Zawani, and you, you know, you got to get this pet food. And like, I don't want to drag both my kids in the store to go get this. So, you know, if, if I'm, you know, pre Pet Supplies Plus, like I'm, I'm going to go on Amazon or I'm going to go on Chewy and order it. Now I can just go on Pet Supplies Plus, know that I'm getting quality products from the same place I'm going to go back to next month when I've got a little more time, maybe spend that extra time there, go get a grooming, go get a, uh, go to the vet, you know, get a dog collar, get a dog treat. So I can build a cart. I can do it that way. I can pick it up in the store. And then the other thing we're thinking about too is instead of, you know, investing tons of money into, you know, a large e-commerce operation where we have a giant distribution center that ships product all over the U.S., like we have these stores and we have 460 stores in, you know, 30 some states, you know, why not make them our distribution point so that we continue to engage the neighbor at the local level and we continue to give them the same quality and service that they're used to kind of that, you know, that local flavor, you know, with, with, with still having some of the benefits of being part of a national group and use the stores as our distribution point for the local community. So if you live within the delivery radius of one of our stores, yes, you'll be able to go online, buy something and have it delivered to your house. Um, and, uh, but no, if you live in the middle of Wyoming, no offense to the great people of Wyoming, I don't have a mechanism to get you Pet Supplies Plus products. Got it. Okay. Well, that, that, it seems like a pretty good strategy to compete with the, your online competitors. You're already competing with the brick and mortar competitors. I think you know, you mentioned the distribution. I think one of the things in rolling out a national landscape is for e-commerce is it's quite challenging to actually make a profit doing, you know, e-commerce sales on a national landscape. So I think that's missed in headline news often. Uh, definitely groups that are growing market share uh, doing that, but but it is challenging to actually make a profit. So uh, yeah, appreciate like the couple of that. Yeah, it's like the new math, right? So when you and I were growing up and when you and I were in school and we're learning about what makes a successful business, it used to have to be you had to make a profit in order to be considered a success. And nowadays it's like, you know, you look at some of these companies that are with these giant valuations that we work and Uber and, you know, even Chewy, like, you know, when you look at the profit line and they're not making any money. So I, I, I don't get how that works, but I guess there's a lot of people smarter than me out there who seem to understand how that works. And they're not quite comfortable with the way all that goes. For sure. So with any deal and, you know, in any business and in particular real estate, there was, you know, there's a point that you think the deal might die. Was, did, did you have that point with Mount Vernon, Illinois? And, you know, was there a point where the, the deal didn't almost make? Yeah. So, so actually, this is, a, this is an interesting tale of perseverance um, on DLC's part in particular. We had looked at this deal. Uh, several years earlier, and at the time, the math made no sense. A couple of things were conspiring. One was we hadn't gotten as comfortable with the smaller market scenario as we are now. And the other part of it was, from a rent perspective, you guys were looking for a number that probably wasn't valid given the marketplace uh, that you were working with. And so we had spent a little bit of time working the deal and kind of agreed, hey, disagree, this isn't going to work. Uh, and we moved on. And so we sort of stayed in touch like we do. And we're talking about markets and talking about opportunities. And, you know, we said, let's revisit this. And, you know, we were able to get more comfortable with a market this size. And you guys were able to get more comfortable with the economics of the deal. And we were able to put together a deal that made sense for both of us. I think we still struggled a little bit, even at that point, as I mentioned earlier, you know, where we had to go back to the city and talk to the mayor to to try to get comfortable with it, because it's still a tough sell, right? We're only going to do, you know, if you're only doing five or 10 stores a year, 
you know, it's Mount Vernon, Illinois, where you want to fire that, you know, fire that bullet off. And so we, uh, you know, we, we had, uh, as, as I you know, recall, like we, we had uh, some internal discussions about it and we had to get comfortable with it. And I really put uh, Andrew and Corey and that team, you know, to the sword a little bit to try to, you know, really make sure we understood this market. And in the end, it wound up being a great payoff because the store does well for us and we're very happy with the performance there. But it was a, it's a good tale of perseverance on both sides, you know, to, for the brokers to say, hey, this deal makes sense. This market makes sense for us and let's stay focused on it. And for you guys to say, hey, let's get to the point where we can make a deal that makes sense for us as the landlord. And we were able to come together and, and here we are. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think probably for deal people, but for the consumer, the the challenge to get a store up up and running in any one market, to get through all the logistics and the transaction and all that stuff is a lot of work and so and, and oftentimes takes a lot of perseverance. So I think that's a, a good story to tell there, Josh. Appreciate it. So that really, I, I think, is uh, running up on my time here, but I think that's really a good story of how that store ended up in Mount Vernon, Illinois, and I'm glad it's doing well. Uh, let's pivot a little bit. A couple last questions, less about store Mount Vernon, Illinois, and more uh, just some fun stuff about Josh. So, <laughs> so a little rapid fire, as a lot of podcasts call it. We'll, we'll think of a better oh, name. So one big picture, biggest real estate advice you can give anyone out there. There's no replacement for experience. So get out there, make deals, talk to people, learn, network, but uh, know that nobody comes out on day one knowing everything. And probably one of my favorite things about this business is that you learn something new every day. Every single deal, every single day, Chris, you and I could do 50 deals together and each one would be a little bit different. And that's part of the learning experience of this. And it's awesome. So you are now a hockey coach. Allegedly. What's that? Allegedly. What's that experience been like? It's awesome. It's so much fun. Get to go to the rink. I I coach. I have 17 or actually maybe even 19 now. We just got two more players. Little girls from my youngest is four and a half. My oldest is, I think, seven. And I go from having one daughter, two daughters, I should say, now to having 19 daughters. And so it's such a rewarding experience. It's can be frustrating, as you can imagine. Um, but I get it for two hours, two hours a week. Uh, but it's just so much fun to see the smiles on their faces. I, I say we don't coach for wins; we coach for smiles. And so we don't we don't keep score. We don't you know I don't, I don't care about any of that gameplay. Whatever the goal is, just to go out there and have them have fun, build a foundation uh, for success in the sport. But I want them to go home after every single interaction and be like, I can't wait to get back on the ice. And if they can't wait to get back on the ice with Coach Josh, then that's not a bad thing either. Uh, can they all skate? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's amazing to see the um, the act of skill acquisition on some of these kids. Um, I had I had a parent. My daughter started playing last year, and when she started playing, she was really young. She was like only four and a half when she started, and hadn't been on her skates a ton. But it was something that we wanted to do. And um, I had a parent who was on our team last year who hadn't seen Danielle, my daughter, play in a while. And she was just, like, blown away by what a great skater she had become. And I'm laughing because I'm like, you know, not even 12 months ago, she could barely stand up. You know, she could barely move with two feet, you know. And even the, the kids this year who have started at the beginning of the season that we had walkers out there for them. I mean, uh, first hockey practice and they're pushing around a walker. You know, now they're <laughs> out there skating and they're, and, they're, and they're scoring goals and they're moving around on their own. And 
you know, and I'm laughing because some of the parents are like, oh, you know, it's, she just looks, you know, she's not, she's not, she's not getting it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, just wait, like, give her a couple more weeks, give her a month, give her a couple more months. By the end of the season, like, she'll be zooming around, we'll have to, we'll have, we won't be able to get her off the ice. Like, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it, when you put kids in a situation where they're doing something they enjoy doing, um, the skill acquisition, how quickly they pick it up and how quickly they develop is really amazing. Awesome. Last question. So random retailer you wish would come back that is no longer in existence. Retailer I wish would come back that is no longer in existence. Oh man, that's a tough one. I, I feel so so spoiled because of my of my rich experience level with retail throughout the US that I've been in retailers in so many states and so many markets and had an opportunity to um to interact with so many, whether they're local versions of national retailers or vice versa, um, that I can't put my finger on one retailer that I'm like, man, like I was really bummed when they went out. <laughs> and I don't think Chi Chi's counts uh for this <laughs> because they used to go there as kids all the time with my parents. Um but uh, <laughs> but I, I can't I can't think of one. But what, what what would your answer be for this? I have a I have a bunch I have an emotional one actually. I have an emotional one which is so my mom left when I was two and it was me and my dad and we used to go to Rickle all the time when I was young, the home improvement store. And so I okay. I love Home Depot and Lowe's today and Harbor Freight Tools. Uh but way back when uh I, I used to look forward to going to Rickle with my dad. We used to go most weekends. So uh from a nostalgic reason that that was a great one. But there's there's a lot, you know, there's a there's a retailer called the Wiz in the Northeast that was an electronics retailer and I got my first T V at the Wiz and um so there's some nostalgic ones like that. I, I'd also have to I, I would really wanna think it through, but those are two that come to mind right away. Uh I, I don't know that they are riveting but a little more nostalgic for me. No, and I think that's what matters, right? Because we forge emotional connections with the retailers that we shop at. Um they're part of the fabric of our existence and as kids in particular, we all have these really fond memories. You mentioned an, an electronics retailer. I have a very fond memory of an electronics retailer in Michigan that 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 closed um, right right as Best Buy was surging, and and I remember going in with my parents to, for them to buy a TV. I was probably twelve or thirteen, and Terminator Two had just come out on Laserdisc. <laughs> dating myself, and the sales guy who you know to me was fifty years old. He was probably just teened. Um, was watching me, sort of boredly watching this, you know, video on this big screen TV, and he's like, "Hey, you want to see something cool? Check this out!" And so he cranks the volume all the way up, and he puts it on the scene where the Terminator's in the office building, and he's shooting the big, the big aircraft gun, you know, and he's shooting all this stuff. And I had never heard like a loud surround sound system before, and he's got the thing cranked up to eleven, and it's shooting <laughs> people are like looking around like what's going on it was crazy so yeah you do you do get these like emotional uh connections to things and and um and that's really fair uh and that's fair whether it's clothing brands that you wore that uh, have a significance to you or a retailer where you spent your time or worked or met someone and uh i think it just goes to show how important what we do is and and, and why it's important to take it seriously when you find locations because uh, you would hate to be listening to someone's podcast 20 years from now, and they're like, "Man, that old pet supply spot, like I sure, I sure <laughs> that." You know? But uh, uh, no, I think we'll be here for a long time, and and um, you know, I think uh, 
I think retail will be here for a long time. And um, I, I really, I think a lot of this uh, retail apocalypse is a little bit overblown to some newspapers, but I think that there's a lot of evolution going on right now too. And I think that that's a really good thing. And um, I'm excited to be part of it. Same here. Well, listen, Josh, it was a pleasure having you. Thanks for being our first guest and looking forward to uh, continuing our long relationship. Thanks, man. All right, but appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening. This is Chris Ress on Retail Retold. For more information, please visit our website, dlcmgmt.com.